one of the things that stands out about her is she had a vibrant prayer life. And I feel like there were different parts throughout the story where it was like getting a glimpse into her life that's hidden with Christ and God. When Darlene was 13, she was called to a life of missions. When she was 20, she married a veteran missionary. When she was 21, she went to Indonesia to spread the gospel among cannibalistic tribes. When she was 24, the Japanese invaded her island and she was put on house arrest and separated from her husband forever. When she was 25, she was sent to a Japanese labor camp. When she was 26, she was interrogated and tortured by the secret police. And when she was 28, she was sent back to the United States all alone and with almost no material possessions. And yet, despite all of her trials and losses, Darlene Dibler Rose kept telling everyone who would listen that her God's comfort outshined her sufferings, that his presence was more precious than her losses, and that his loving provision was as faithful as the rising and setting of the sun. On today's episode, we'll be taking a look at the book, Evidence Not Seen, A Woman's Miraculous Faith in the Jungles of World War II by Darlene Dibler Rose. That's what's coming up. Here we go. All right, so I've got Kyle Beachy and Michael Wheaton in the studio with me. Why don't you guys tell our listeners what you do here at Pure Life? Uh, I'm Kyle Beachy, and I am one of our counselors for the residential and at-home programs. Okay. I'm Michael Wheaton, and I am the senior administrator for our admin office. Okay, sweet. So, I mean, if you just boil that down, Kyle deals with people, and Michael deals with spreadsheets. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> um, okay, so this is another episode in our Why You Should Read series. And we have, I think we've probably done, this is probably four, number four. Yeah. So um, in today's episode, we're going to talk about the life of a woman named Darlene Dibler. Uh, is it Darlene Dibler or Dibler? Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. She's... <laughs> not alive anymore, so she can't <laughs> find us and give us sharp words about how we mispronounce her name. Um, so anyway, her na- her uh, book is entitled Evidence Not Seen, A Woman's Miraculous Faith in the Jungles of World War II. So before we get into her life and her story, uh, what was just initial observations or initial feelings about the book in general? Well, uh, rereading it, what really stood out as a whole was how insanely fitting the title is because it's pulled out of, uh, what is it, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is evidence of things not seen. And that, like the amount of faith that she had moment in, moment out throughout each of, like all the stories and uh, events that were referenced, like, it was just, it's insanely fitting just time and time again. And I would count myself just chuckling over and over because it's like faith, 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 mm-hmm. faith again. Oh, there's more faith. Like, wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's just literally I wrote, it's an incredible picture of real faith. Um, and I think 
two, just stepping back and looking at it, it's it's like watching um, a person's faith grow in different things that she experienced and had to walk through. You just see her faith growing. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was really well written and captivating and very vivid. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I know, I know, Michael, you've told me in the past that you were not a reader. You hated reading. I mean, through your whole <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> growing up. Despised it. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and then it wasn't until you came to Pure Life that you even really started mm-hmm. to read. So for you as someone who's not naturally a reader, was this, what was it like to read this book? Um, well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I found it hard to put down. Yeah, I think just from from the get-go, it's very captivating. It's not one of those books that you get bogged down with just a bunch of information and details that is like, okay, I don't know, like, what to do with all this information I'm getting. I mean, it pretty much from the start, it just gets into a very, um, it's like watching a movie in your head. Hmm. <laughs> That's the way I describe it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, for people who aren't like naturally readers, it's like no big deal. You should do I, it. I loved it. I'm, okay. I'm planning on rereading it again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So one of the things that I recognized was that it's a little bit of a different story than some of the ones that we've done in the past. It's not a story of personal salvation. For those people who have listened to some of the other ones we've done, um, we've done a couple where it was the story of a person who, well, one guy was a Muslim, another guy was a Mormon, and they come to Christ themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's really the whole story is like coming to Christ, their journey. But this is very different. This is Mm -hmm. just eight years of this woman's life Mm -hmm. from the late 1930s through the end of the war in 1945, where she was in ministry in in the New Guineas, um, and then she was put on house arrest because the Japanese took over Netherlands, New Guinea, and then she was taken to prison camp, and then she was taken to a secret police prison, and then Mm -hmm. eventually she was released. So... It's just a little bit different, but man, talk about just, this thing is packed with stories of personal involvement with the Lord and his care and concern Mm -hmm. for her in her life, and I mean, it's just incredible. What did you think about her as a person as you were reading through it? Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, one of the the things that stands out about her is she had a vibrant prayer life. And I feel like there were different parts throughout the story where it was like getting a glimpse into her life that's hidden with Christ and God. And you just see her time and time again in the secret place. And so just a very close walk with the Lord, um, just involving him in everything she did. And another thing that really stood out was during her time in the prison camp was just her selflessness. And she gave herself to the needs of others, those around her, and just really took on their burdens, made them her own, not just providing counsel and encouragement, but also in prayer. And so just really a selfless person and someone who just really devoted 
and committed to the Lord. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, right on the right on the heels of that inner selflessness, like she loved people. And throughout the book, it happened time and time again, where when she got a sight of them as God saw them, she was just all in for them. She didn't blink. She didn't hesitate. Mm -hmm. She was just right in, like Michael was saying, filling needs, teaching, praying. What can I do Mm -hmm. for you? What can I do for you? What can Mm -hmm. I do for you? And something else that was an encouragement (laughs) to me personally was like there's flashes of like a wee bit of, I guess like we call it snarkiness in her. And that was an encouragement to me. Oh yeah. She was kind of mm-hmm. sassy at times. Yeah. Oh my yep. goodness. <laughs> and that was encouraging to me because for so long, I just always saw like the biting, cutting people down nature behind that. But to see her passion for people and then like the sassiness that she had, it's like, oh no, like the Lord can sanctify this. Mm-hmm. Like I do need to repent where I need to repent. And when I am wrong, I need to like recognize that and own that. But as a whole, like the Lord can bring me out of this yeah. and like really yeah. do something. Hmm. So that was something that was always on my mind. <laughs> yeah, she seemed like she enjoyed a good practical joke. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, just really enjoyed laughing. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty cool. Well, even near the end of the book when that uh, guy from the Navy came to get her and uh, she asked his name, and I think he said it was Tom Sawyer, and she had a funny <laughs> remark she wanted to answer him with. And even after all that she went through, like you just saw that come out, and mm-hmm. yeah, so it was. Mm-hmm. She had a great sense of humor. Yeah, um, one thing I thought was just really remarkable, and I think that kind of shows or displays again the selflessness was just the way she approached her marriage. Mm-hmm. That. She knew that marrying the man she did, his name was Russell Dibler, that she was going to spend long months without him mm-hmm. because of his position as a as a missionary in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, it seemed like as soon as they got married, he was 31, she was 19, I think, when they got married. And as soon as they got married, it seemed like he was gone. Mm-hmm. And he was gone for months. Just he was preaching and teaching and gathering support, and she just made the best of it. Mm-hmm. And then when they got over to the mission field, he was called to push into the interior of New mm-hmm. Guinea mm-hmm. to try to establish contact with some of these Stone Age um, cannibal tribes that they were called to. And it was just months away from him, you know? And so I just thought, wow, this is just such a. This is such an a otherworldly kind of perspective on what marriage is about. <laughs> mm. And I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later, but you know, she wasn't actually she was <laughs> not with him very much in their marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually she never saw him again and found out that he had died. But it's just like, wow, that is amazing. Yeah, it's foreign to us today to go into a marriage like that. You know, even being recently married, it was easy for me to, you know, read this and think, man, what a different mindset and uh, understanding of what it means when the Lord calls you to something and just going into it with total understanding of the sacrifices that may be 
asked of you. And, you know, I don't, and she mentioned that if the Lord had shown her all of this up front, she doesn't know if she would have had the courage to step mm. out and, and do this. But when she made that consecration to the Lord early on, when the Lord called her to be a missionary, she would refer back to that time and time again and remind her that, Lord, you called me and, you, and I told you I'd go wherever you, wherever you sent me. And, you know, when those times of separation would come, she would remind herself of that, and that would be a mm. source of strength or encouragement to, to keep pressing. And then, even then, she would, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be teaching. So she gave herself to that. This yeah. is what the Lord mm. called me to, and I can sit here and worry about my husband and complain and all that, but it's like, no, the Lord's given me something to do, you know, and she committed her husband to the Lord in prayer and just, okay, Lord, this is what you've called me to. I said yes, and I'm going to give myself to it. Mm. And just very different mindset from today. Mm. And that was that really did impact me and challenge me, just my level of commitment to the Lord and just the sacrifices that he may never ask, but if he did, you know, to have that kind of heart. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, one thing that I really appreciated this, I think because I struggle in this area, but she saw the good in people. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know, like, you know, she's in one of those situations. She ends up in one of those situations where there's just a tremendous amount of suffering and evil and brutality and cruelty. And yet she the way that she talked about people, it was obvious that she she wasn't burying her head in the sand when it came to the way people are. But she also just had, I thought, a remarkable ability to see and to appreciate the good qualities that people had, even if they weren't believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> that can be a struggle for me, you know? Uh, I think as you're talking about that, the word that comes to mind is just childlike. You know, I think of children, it's like, okay, when they look at people, they don't just tear them down and assume the worst and all of that. And like you said, she didn't just put her head in the sand. She would say, yeah, this, uh, when speaking of the commander at the prison camp, you know, she would talk about how evil he was and, and brutal. But at the same time, um, yeah, like you said, she would just notice good qualities about people and seem to even um, relate to them in that way and not relate to them by focusing on their, I guess, unadmirable qualities or oh, whatever sure. you want to <laughs> call them. Yeah, and that even, I can't remember for the life of me which chapter it was, but that's just what stood out when she first moved into that work camp, prison camp. The whole chapter was just her listing out every person mm-hmm. that was in her barrack, what they did, who they were, how they were connected, and even like sprinkling in extra details about like situations with their former lives and family members. And then mm-hmm. even like because she was the barrack, she got elected to be the barrack leader, she was able to like see where they needed to be placed. And like mm-hmm. how that could help them and how that couldn't help them. And then, oh, this one caught dysentery. So now we have to isolate, but we know how and where to work all that. And it was a direct, like when I was rereading this, it was a direct challenge to me 
Because being in counseling, it can be incredibly easy to just be like, what's the guy's problems? What does he need? What's the scriptural antidote? All right, we're good to go, buddy. But it's like, no, like I need to care and love. And it's like, oh, no, wait, like this guy, like the Lord is moving in his life. There is something good happening there. Let's feed and foster that yeah. rather than squashing his problems. Hmm. Yeah. It can be very, very easy to focus on the negative. Mm-hmm. She just seemed like a very balanced woman. I really, really appreciated that about her. Like when there was a reason to have joy, she was joyful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when there was a cause for sorrow, she was she would weep. She mm-hmm. really did. She just yeah, childlike is a good is a good word. And mm-hmm. she didn't get cynical. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was really amazing. Like at the end of the story, I think what you saw was the the beauty that can come in a person's life through suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she didn't end up bitter and broken and cynical and selfish and jaded, but sweet. I mean, she already was like a really. She seemed like a really beautiful person in general, but mm-hmm. it just seemed like she only got sweeter. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's how it came across to me. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of that came from, because there were times when, you know, you would just see her repenting for allowing bitterness to come in um, because, yeah, she suffered horribly. I mean, losing her husband, finding out three months after the fact that he died, just the things she had to witness, the suffering of other women and children and people being beaten. But she constantly went to the Lord in prayer. And she said, this really stood out to me. Um, She said that she made it a habit to pour out her heart before the Lord. And that was something that she had practiced, you know, Um, and then she would, after doing that, she would wait to hear what the Lord would say and then allow those words to penetrate and change her. And I think that's where you see like her maturing and her faith just growing and growing is that it wasn't just one-sided, like, let me just pour out all my complaints to the Lord and then move on. Now that's off my chest. But it's like, okay, Lord, I've laid this before you. And then the Lord would speak. And it was usually a scripture or something that he would give to her. Um, But she just took it by faith and allowed that word to take root and change her. And I think that was very, very powerful and impactful for me, just seeing how she handled those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much covers just her as a person. Those are like some of the big Mm -hmm. themes in her own life. Let's talk a little bit then just, I mean, it's like so packed full of incredible (laughs) stories that we probably should talk about some of these stories because Uh I'm hoping that if we can relay some of these stories, then people will say, okay, I want to buy, buy this and I want to read this. So can we just talk about the first part where she ends up going to New Guinea and some of the things that happened to her in her life? Things that stood out to you or stories you really enjoyed. Yeah, so when her husband Russell is trying to um, 
are in need of establishing contact with this tribe in New Guinea, he goes out first. This is, you know, the first time since they've gotten there that they're separated now. Um, so he has to go away, and I think he ends up being away for three months at this time. Mm. And the trek that he has to take through the mountains to get to this tribe is extremely dangerous. Um, they're taking a canoe on icy waters, which gets overturned. They're having to ration food. It's raining uh, while they're hiking through the mountains and just sleeping out in the cold. And uh, at one point, he became extremely concerned that the people who were leading him through this trail were going to desert him. And Yeah, because they're natives and they're afraid they're going to die. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And, and then having to you know, share this food with this other guy who's probably going to, uh, if this journey takes much longer, they're not, none of them are going to survive. So yeah, he ended up spending nights just in prayer, asking the Lord that they wouldn't desert him so that he could make it and establish contact. But it's just amazing to me that, you know, it would be very easy to be like, okay, my, my feet are in, in bad condition. I'm losing weight. I don't have strength. We're I don't know if we have enough food. I just need to turn back and come back when I get more resources. Mm. But no, he was determined. It's like, no, I have to establish contact. The gospel has to get to these people. So yeah, you just see this this trek that they're taking and uh, how dangerous it was. And I think if I remember correctly, they said that the women couldn't even you know go with him at first because it was just so dangerous. But yeah, it was right off the the get go from the uh, yeah. This is mm -hmm. happening in chapter one. It's just very very intense. Yeah, I I did find that amazing. Like you said, this was a three week long trip, walking hour after hour after hour every single day, and as he is seeing the rations are getting low and mm -hmm. the guys who are carrying the the baggage are potentially going to desert them and as he's watching his friend get sicker and sicker mm -hmm. and he's getting sicker yes. and sicker he is spending his nights in prayer mm -hmm. and just pleading for protection and intervention and to see that kind of spirit in mm -hmm. him you can just mm -hmm. see god's hand mm -hmm. on him like he's god is giving this man strength to persevere through this and his yeah Eventually, he got some kind of like jungle rot. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a feet. fungus on yeah. his feet, and his yeah. feet are just literal. The, the the skin is just off. shredding off of his yeah. feet. But he's just persevering because, yeah, because of that one thing. He's like, I am going out here to basically like plant a flag, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. in the colony of, of this tribe for Jesus. Mm -hmm. I am going there because their souls depend on hearing the gospel of Jesus. And yeah. It's like, that is, that's amazing. He was an incredible person. His <laughs> faith was unbelievable. Yeah. 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 It really was. Yeah. And then even like beyond that, like he gets back, you mentioned his feet. And that was a big impact for her because yes. she was just like, ah, like, all right, I'm going to clean his feet, but this is kind of gross. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, bloody, pussy. Yeah, yep. she was just yeah. like, all right, like, I kind of got the feel that it was partially, like, out of duty at this point. But then their, I guess, what would he have been, like, their leader, that Dr. Jaffrey? Yeah. He had made a comment of, like, how beautiful those feet were. Mm -hmm. And she just, like, broke. 
mm. and just was and she's she mentioned at the end of chapter one she was just like these are beautiful feet and she just had got joy from cleaning those day after day until they were better. And like you said, it was just grow, peeling all the stuff off, cleaning it, the blood, and just rewrap it. And then the next morning, oh, it's just, yeah. it was filthy. But she got the joy of the Lord in that. Well, specifically, um, Dr. Jaffries, one of the leaders, would write articles for a Christian magazine. And he, after seeing Russell's feet and her cleaning them, he went back in his room and wrote an article about it and then came back and shared that with Darlene. That's right, yeah. um, That to the Lord they were beautiful because they were feet that were sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's really what impacted her. It was like, okay, if, if these feet are beautiful to the Lord because they're sharing the gospel, that changed her entire perspective on them, and they became beautiful to her. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was remarkable. Yeah. And then sometime after that because i think they like spent christmas together um but then sometime after that he goes back out um they get different uh not the first set of guys that went with them the locals that were ready to desert them but there were these dyak guys that were apparently like really strong in endurance and like trustworthy yeah it's just what it sounded like (laughs) these guys are just gonna like we're going to put, you know, one crate on each shoulder and just charge up the mountain, man. I'm like, just come with us. It's like, dang, where were these guys in the first place? Right, yeah. <laughs> but okay. So, like, they hire them, and they're even, like, cutting down trees and bridges, like, making ways. They cut a three-week yeah, yeah. journey into, like, a week. It's yeah. just like, wow, okay, cool. Um, but, so, like, he gets back, and he starts getting the colony established with these Dyak guys, and their contract runs out, so they leave. But word, he's... He, Russell, is able to send a letter back to Darlene in, I think, in the town they were at. I'm not going to try and butcher that name. Uh, (laughs) And so she's reading it, and he's just telling her, like, what's going on? The locals, like, they think he's a spirit, and they're just like, Mm -hmm. why no women? And he's just like, well, it's because they had to stay back. It's dangerous. He's like, you have weak women. He's like, our chief said no. He's like, oh, you need to get rid of that chief. He has a bad gut. (laughs) Just like, these guys are going at him. But she's reading the letter, and he's not even saying, like, you need to come, and now it's time. He's just, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was like, oh, I need to go. Like, yeah. this is like this is the Lord telling me it's They'll time for me to go. They'll never believe in Jesus if mm-hmm. I don't go. Yep. yep. That's yeah. right. And, yeah. and she goes up to Dr. Jaffrey, and he's like, last I knew, for about three or four days, I was just waiting for the Lord. And I was just like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, just here's the situation. And, of like, her heart for the Lord, her heart for these people to mm-hmm. know the Lord— like the spirit just connected it all within her and she was like, all right, time to go. Yeah. And then another one that really like struck me as amazing is so her and the wife of the other guy that went with Russell are on government steamers going from island to island, dropping off things. And then they're coming up to the coastal town where Russell and the other guy are going to meet their wives and it's a, there's a storm like the night before they're supposed mm-hmm. to get to that coastal town and it's just thrashing and it's like it's like 1938, 1939. For whatever reason, the radios weren't working on town and so it's just like they're expecting us and the captain is just like, well, I mean, like we'll go to this next town. We'll make this other stop. We'll come back. It'll be, you know, plus or minus a week. And she was just like, 
looking at her girlfriend, like we can't, this a week's not an option. Like they're there. Mm-hmm. They're going to think we died. They're going to think this, like, and they're going to have to spend money to yeah. stay and stay and just wait. And they don't know when they're coming. Like, this is going to be a problem. And she says in here, God was our only source of help. Prayed earnestly that he would still the wind and calm the troubled sea. And then by the next morning, it was just glass. Mm-hmm. Thorough, just the glassiest she, sea she had ever seen. And today's seas are still calmed by the Jesus of Galilee. And I was just like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like she just cried out. She was like, God, if there's there is no other realistic, practical way for this to work, mm-hmm. please come in and do something. She wasn't even asking specifically to calm the seas. She was just like, make a way in. Mm-hmm. Courage, lifeboat, calm sea, totally indifferent. Get us away in there. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah, as if there was nothing. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah, so the the book is full of stories like this. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, which is phenomenal. Yeah. So we're going to have to jump way ahead because – Otherwise, we're gonna. This is gonna be a three-hour conversation. Yeah. But um, <laughs> so eventually, they establish contact with the tribe that mm-hmm. they feel like they're called to, and through a number of different circumstances, which I'm not gonna explain. You'll have to read the book yourself. <laughs> they realize that God is actually not calling them to be the ones to evangelize that group, but instead calling her husband to more of a um, organizational and leadership role in the missions organization, which to them was devastating yep. because they that's not what they wanted to do. They wanted to be with those people. And so they take more of a leadership role. Again, I'm not going to explain how they knew it was the Lord's will, but it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um and then war breaks out, yep. and Japan enters the war and begins to systematically conquer different areas of the, what do they call it, Indochina or Eurasia? I don't know what they call it. but um, And so suddenly the Netherlands, New Guinea is under attack and has mm-hmm. been conquered by the Japanese, yeah. and that's when things really begin to get very difficult for them. Yeah, just beginning to get difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't difficult before. Right, right. yeah. yeah. But really difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, shortly after Japan takes over where they're located and they're put on house arrest, in the middle of the night, they had a, they had a rat problem. And oh yeah, <laughs> they, so, they, they, like it's yeah. every night was like a rat massacre. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I was like, man, these women are just a little bit of a rat problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they herd them into the kitchen and beat them all to yep. death. I was like, dang. <laughs> so, so one night, Darlene's in bed and she hears it, hears this noise, and she thinks it's rats. And but something, I think she heard a book fall off a shelf or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And so she decides to get up and go see, okay, what's what's going on? And when she walks down the hallway, there's this figure in the shadows, and it's a turns out to be a bandit with a machete. And she later said, I don't know why I didn't go back in my room. <laughs> right. But she just darted after him. Chases him, chased down him the out of the house, into the woods. <laughs> And later gets back and goes, I have no idea why. Just yeah, like how stupid was that? that? Yeah, right. Exactly. But later finds out that uh, 
the reason those uh, that guy let, and there were more in the woods, but the reason they ran and actually didn't come back to the house was because they had seen big men in, in white surrounding the house, which she referenced the, the verse, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord just stepped in and totally protected them in, in that instance. But again, just remarkable story. Yeah. <laughs> that was funny because she, she even said, she's like, I'm a fearful person. I don't know why I chased. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not brave. <laughs> yeah. One that thing so I, good. one thing I saw in, in this book that I thought was really interesting was how, how the Lord dealt with them in different situations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he would totally protect them. Mm-hmm. Other times he would let them go through, but just give them strength in the middle of it. Other times the suffering would be just, just be so intense that it would to- totally overwhelm them to the point where they would just kind of like, she said, I just sank into the Lord's arms with mm-hmm. no strength, mm-hmm. but then he would just uphold her. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it was really interesting, and it seemed like she was okay with however the Lord dealt with her in mm-hmm. those those moments, whether it was divine protection, miraculous deliverance, or strength in the middle of the suffering, or just literal... I cannot do this at all, mm-hmm. but you're with me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It was it was incredible. Yep. That was something that always kept coming back because she always kept hanging on to the fact that, like, you are with me, mm-hmm. God. And because, like, Russell had even said on the last time they had seen each other when he got in the truck to go to the men's camp, he, like, leaned in and whispered, like, that exact first, like, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And that was something that, even, if I'm remembering right, even early on held them strong personally yeah. like when they were going into like the interior of New Guinea yep. but even like throughout her time in the prison camp she was just always like you're not going to leave you're not going to forsake mm-hmm. me yeah you only throughout everything you described she just kept coming back to like he's faithful he is faithful yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so they were in house arrest for i think over a year and it sounded like it was kind of I mean, as far as house arrest goes, it wasn't <laughs> horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a lot of food, and they had the rats, and they had <laughs> danger from time to time, but they experienced a lot of really rich fellowship with one another, mm-hmm. and yeah. it sounded like it was they were content. But eventually, they're herded up, and they're taken away to a uh, prisoner of war camp. Mm-hmm. And then things ramp up even more. I mean, the place is a just yeah. cesspool mm-hmm. of suffering. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we can talk a little bit about some of the things that she experienced there. What struck me again was how when she first she first gets there, she gets settled in, and they've got what was it like maybe twelve different barracks or something along those lines. She's in barrack eight, which is all of the. Immigrants are like non-locals or at least a majority of them and all of the barracks like elected leaders and she was like, I don't even know why, but they picked me, right? And she was like, maybe it's because of my youth or because of my, you know, linguistic ability, but she's like, okay, whatever. And one of the first things she did is she was like, okay, we're going to do evening devotions. Like we're going to read, we're going to read the word and we're going to pray together every night, like before lights Mm -hmm. out when everything got shut down, Mm -hmm. right after evening roll call. 
And there would even be people from other barracks that would come and like partake in that and just like join them. And she even mentions like we started to have sweet fellowship of sufferings together. Mm. And it just flashed me right back to like what Paul talks about in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. And like that's part of why she was able to like receive from the Lord in a way because she just went right in, like we've been saying, like she just went right into the sufferings and walked right into it. And she's like, and oh, by the way, God's not forsaken me. And so I'm going to bring him in to this situation so that all of you can see that he's not forsaken you. And there were even powerful believers in her particular barrack yeah. that she mentioned. Like just some of the some of the women and older women just loved the Lord and cried out and poured out. Like there was a it sounds like the Lord like really protected her in that way, spiritually, just like mm-hmm. I'm going to this is going to be difficult. This is going to be a very long, painful eight years. And you don't see it coming, but like I think a year from there, roughly, she finds out her husband has, had been dead for three months, like you referenced mm-hmm. earlier. But the whole time, like there was just like the fellowship of saints just encamped around her. And she was in like her heart to just like, all right, let's set up a time to meet corporately with the Lord daily. Because that she knew that's what's going to keep us through however long this is. Yeah, I mean, there were times when they're there and um, – the commander would would come to the barracks and uh, they wouldn't know why, but they would just call someone and take them away. And then they have to sit there and go, well, well, what's going on with this? Why'd that person get called out? And times when they'd witness people get beaten in front of them or, you know, just they would (laughs) hardly have any, any food. They were forced to work hard and long days and the sleeping arrangements weren't great. And, um, even during the time in the in the camp, there would be air raids at night where there'd be bombings and they'd have to spend the night in, in trenches and they'd be full of water from the rain and, and mud and you're sleeping in a trench, you know, with planes flying over, dropping bombs. And I mean, just, yeah, nightmare. Yeah, it really is. Like, this is a story of just a woman who put everything in God's hands. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what we've been saying this whole time, but yeah. as as we're talking about it again, it just it just reminds me like she put everything in God's hands and she would constantly pray for the needs around her and whether it was like a supernatural answer or just an answer that was obviously that had a natural explanation, Mm -hmm. but was obviously an answer to prayer. Um, Like, I remember one time where they were just under so much stress because of the the lack of food and the poor conditions and all of the work, and for whatever reason, the commander decided, hey, you know, it's not good for these people to just always be working. So why don't we allow them to have some entertainment? Yeah. Yeah. And so they brought in a piano and this this Russian woman who was like a concert pianist started holding these concerts. Um, and a number of women who were good singers, they would learn these Russian folk songs and they would put on these concerts. And so it's like, wow, that just, mm-hmm. that had to be an answer to the prayers of these women who realized we can't live 
if we're just constantly being driven to work like slaves, you know, mm-hmm. and just interceding for the need of these women and children who need some, like some sense of normalcy, yeah. you know, some yep. kind of reprieve from the suffering and just see how God moves on people's hearts and brings these answers so that, you know, to relieve people's suffering is just incredible. I think something with that that really stood out to me, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, was when there was an opportunity to be joyful, she was joyful. And Mm -hmm. I think in a situation like that, especially nowadays, it would be very easy to be cynical, like, oh, now we can, you know, put on a concert and entertain. Yeah, but we're still in a prison camp. Like, but she saw it as, wow, this is a gift from the Lord. Mm. he's basically saying, I'm here with you. Mm. I see you, you know, even though I'm not just going to miraculously bring you out of this camp, which is what a lot of times in America we can tend to think like, well, (laughs) if the Lord's good, then like he's just going to deliver me from every hardship. But to recognize God's hand and his mercy and his faithfulness in the midst of that and then say, you know what? And and she made it a reference or something to, um, or alluded to the fact that, you know, we really wanted to make this special. Yeah. And so they would like prepare themselves for it so mm-hmm. that it really would be a special night. And just to see that joyful, grateful attitude for something like that, like they're starving. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. a lot of them Full are of very disease. ill. Yeah. 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 Yep. And, Beaten. Yeah, what a oh just gosh. what a different spirit. Yeah, to be yeah. in. Yeah, and even this account, and I don't want to ruin it because it's really powerful, comes on the heels of like when she finds out that her husband had died and that interaction she had with the commander. Like that is what really dumbfounded mm. me. Was just like she finds out her husband's dead. In short an opportunity comes up for her to share the gospel with the commander in the midst of finding out her husband's dead. And then, oh, by the way, like a month-ish maybe later, all of this, I think he called them, we need distractions, and the camp comes about. And like you were saying, Michael, they went all out for it. The women are like trading dresses. Does this fit you? Does this fit you? Hey, if you roll those (laughs) sleeves up, you'll get the good puffy sleeves. And they just like, (laughs) like they went all out for it. Like we're going to have like a good time. Like we're given a chance to... Like you had said, normalcy, enjoy, like mm-hmm. have a level of joy in our lives. And she, for her and the other powerful, faithful Christians were no doubtedly thinking like the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we need to like be practicing his joy in moments that we're given like this. And mm-hmm. so let's just go all out because mm-hmm. surely, like you were saying, there's about a thousand women in that camp. So surely mm-hmm. the cynics were there and they needed yeah. something, right? They needed mm-hmm. something. And so it's like, all right, this is what the Lord has given us. We're going to make the best of it. And It'll be a good time. That's a powerful testimony to those people too in the camp that weren't believers for oh sure. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there's like so much to talk mm-hmm. about. <laughs> she, yeah, the commander that you were talking about, Commander Yamaji, that is, <laughs> that whole thing is a unbelievable story. Yeah, so powerful. Because this man was incredibly cruel um heartless mm-hmm. without any compassion mm-hmm. would snap at the at the smallest will cross <laughs> you know if you didn't do exactly what he said he'd fly into a rage potentially yeah. beat you nearly dead mm-hmm. um and she eventually was able to tell him 
you know, I, I love you. Yeah. Because Jesus loves us. I love you. He gives me his love for you. And it was so, I'm not, yeah, it's hard to, I don't want to spoil <laughs> all the best part. You know, we don't yeah, want to yeah. spoil all the best parts, but that deeply affected him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that effect is shown in, in later parts of the book, but absolutely incredible. And then from there, I'm not sure exactly how long they were just in that one prison camp, but then from there, they are accused as being American spies, mm-hmm. number of, of her and her friends, and they're taken to a secret, another prison, a worse prison, yep. Yep. where they're tortured and beaten and interrogated, uh, interrogated <laughs> yeah, and um, subjected to just horrific things. Yep. Mm. But man, the constant care that the Lord... Let's tell the banana story. That one is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so she's, I don't know how long she had been in, in this cell at this point, but she's able to occasionally muster up the strength to pull herself up and look out of this little window from the prison cell. And outside she notices this person that has a banana. And she had been eating or they had been giving her a bowl of rice with worms in it that flies would attack and she'd have to kill the flies and then eventually just started eating the worms with the rice. So that's what she's living off of, one bowl of that a day. And then she sees this banana and just says, Lord, what I would do for that banana? (laughs) (laughs) You could get me just one banana, banana. Lord. Is that too much to ask for? And so she prays and just really asks the Lord, and you know, that he would give her a banana. And fast forward a little bit, uh, there's this... Uh, she well, and hears, she's totally doubting. Totally. That yeah. he can do it. Yeah, she doesn't that's, think... That's key. That's, she yeah, does not think that, that the Lord could actually do this, even though she's witnessed him do other miraculous things. And so she hears these footsteps coming to her prison, and the guy ends up leaving her not just one banana, but 92 bananas. <laughs> um, yep. And then she's repenting to the Lord and saying, Lord, forgive me for doubting that you could do this. Um, you didn't just give me one. You gave me 92 bananas. And so she was able to ration those out. And I think by the time she was to the last one is when she was leaving the prison. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that's just right. incredible. Yeah. I You know, I think one of the most powerful quotes that I read in the book was they were, again, we're condensing so much mm-hmm. into so little time, but she was out out of the uh, secret police prison and back into the prison camp. And they had just gone through a series of the camps were being bombed and so the barracks where they stayed had all been burned. All of her personal possessions were gone. And she wrote um, she wrote this. There in the dark hours of that night, I walked into the sanctuary of my heart. The lamps fed by the oil of the Spirit were burning brightly. My precious Lord, I have come to worship and adore you. This has been a day like no other I have ever known, Today has marked the final stripping away of every transient treasure I possessed. 
I have nothing but this dirty, faded, blue-gray work suit, but never have I felt so privileged, so blessed, or so rich. <sighs> and, you know, I mean, that... One thing that's really obvious in this in this book, she's not she doesn't take any credit Mm-mm. for any of this. She never once talks about how strong her faith was and mm-hmm. how powerful she was. She never. I mean, if anything, she just constantly talks about her need, her deep neediness, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and that she can't handle this and she's overwhelmed by that and she's I don't want to say collapsing. She's not. She never like totally like goes into despair, but mm-hmm. she just she never paints the picture of herself being this incredible Christian, just paints the picture of how faithful Jesus yeah. is. That in yeah. her moments of deepest need, the presence of the Lord was there yep. to meet yeah. that need and to fill her with his presence that it was always 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 just Jesus. And that's why she loved him so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she even goes a little bit further throughout, like we kind of referenced once or twice, like when she was chasing the bandit out of the house or when she was describing like her own, every time she would describe herself, it was always, I don't know why X, Y, Z happened. This is what I'm like. And it's always the opposite of what the Lord carried her into. Mm. Yeah. And so she, like, even, like even in that, she's glorifying God because she's like, no, no, no. Like if, if this was up to me, I would have gone right after that commander and like taken his noggin off if, if at all possible. But I'm a fearful person. But she's able to tell him I love you. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, just hearing that and thinking about that, it's like that just further exemplifies the Lord and his work in a person's life. Because like this is what she's like Yeah. without him. But the Lord changed her brought her into places and led her and she followed because she mm-hmm. even makes that like knowing the shepherd's voice and she was able to just like she just followed his voice hmm. you got one more thing i yeah for what it's worth i mean uh, just hearing all of this i was trying to jot down okay what are some themes of this of this story of her life and time in this eight-year span of her life and things that came to mind were more than conqueror through Christ who loved her. Mm. God's strength perfected in weakness, mm. protection and refuge in the presence of God, sacrifice and suffering, faith is a victory. Well, I hope that this testimony has really boosted your faith. I know that that would make Darlene very happy because that's why she wrote this book. In the preface, she said that she wrote this book so that her sons would know that God's arm had never lost its ancient power. In other words, she wanted them to see that the God who had done such wonderful things for her would do the same things in their lives. And so if you're going through a difficult season, trials, sufferings, losses, this book is intended to show just how sufficient God is for all of our needs, no matter what. And that if we simply follow him, and trust him and give everything into his hands, he is more than able to provide all of our needs and to do abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. So please, go buy this book, Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Dibler-Rose, and enjoy. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. 
For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.